0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Lord Many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One of the most beautiful things in the church's liturgical tradition is the way that readings and prayers, oftentimes, you know, they're, they're written and inspired in such a way that they just kind of jump into our reality. You know, and we, we can concretely see them jumping into our reality. And uh, last week, preaching on the Bread of Life discourse, I. I focused on like, cognitive dissonance in this Bread of Life discourse. Like, cognitive dissonance is when like, uh, two things both seem to be true, but they're in complete contradiction to each other. And so how does that work? And it's what we're faced with when we see like how can something be good and bad at the same time? Like, how can a part of somebody be good and a part of them be bad at the same time? That's what we're facing as a country. How can a church that I love, I know the church is the true church, I know Jesus founded the church, and then, yet, yeah, how can it be filled with all of these, like, horrible sinners? What do I do with that? And as Jesus is preaching to his disciples, you know, he's telling them something that seems really contradictory, right? Like, uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Which to the untrained ear, like it would just seem like really weird. Now we don't think it's weird because we were taught in second grade that, you know, the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus and like we're used to the fact that we eat Jesus every week. Maybe some of us even take that for granted sometimes. But for his these disciples at that time it would have been like, Whoa, what's he talking about? He seems trustworthy. He's done all these miracles. That just seems like too much. And today we see that some of his disciples can't accept the teaching. Right? That saying is too hard. Who can accept it? And some of them even decide to flee. Okay, this is too hard for me to sit in this tension. I'm just going to run away. And he doesn't go chasing after them. He kind of lets them like run away and be in the tension. Like they'll sort it out. If they sort it out, they'll come back. Our Lord came to propose, not impose. To invite us into relationship with him. And yet we're free to keep him at a distance. Peter speaks with great boldness saying, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that doesn't mean that he has it all figured out at this point. It simply means he's decided to entrust himself to our Lord. Like, I don't really understand this completely, but I've decided to trust you. I've decided that you know better than I do. Which is certainly an act of faith. It's not the kind of blind faith that says, well, I'm just going to believe it and not try to understand it. But it's an act of faith that says, I trust that you know better than I do what's good for me. And I'm going to go with you. And I'm going to keep working to integrate what you're saying in my life. And Peter will have the chance to do that. And he'll go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. At the transfiguration, he'll think it's all over and we're going to construct three booths. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then he'll go down and watch our Lord go through his passion. And then he'll run away and deny our Lord, even though he said he would never deny our Lord. And then he'll encounter the risen Lord. who asks him three times, do you love me more than this? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he'll receive the Holy Spirit and preach the gospel of Pentecost to thousands of people who come into the church. Which began with, Master to whom shall we go, you have the words of eternal life. I'm going to count on you to make sense out of things. Because it is a hard saying and our Lord has to make sense out of it. Most married people think Ephesians 5 that we heard in the second reading is a hard saying. Like what does it mean to be subordinate to one's husband is a question people ask all the time. And I would translate that as entrusting your heart to him. But in order to do that, he has to do everything that St. Paul says, which is love you like Christ loved the church, which means die for you, so you know he's trustworthy. And that too is a mystery that we live into and we learn to live into and we learn to love as God loves. And we have to stick with our Lord as we move towards that ideal of perfection. For us as priests, We're called to be in the person of Christ. And we can kind of take a cop-out and say, well, that only applies to when I say, this is my body. It doesn't apply to my moral life or the way that I'm interacting with people on a daily basis or the way that, you know, I'm able to have joy. That's kind of a cop-out. If we're called to be in the person of Christ always, that's our ideal that we strive towards, that we constantly seek conversion in our hearts so that we can, like, live a life that is always a witness to the love of our Lord. And we're in just as much a conversion process as a married couple who's trying to love each other as Christ loves his church. And we all need to pray for each other as we're working towards that ideal, as we're surrendering our love of our Lord as he works within our hearts on a daily basis. the opening prayer of today's liturgy too it points to the times in which we live O God who caused the minds of the faithful to unite in a single purpose grant your people to love what you command and desire what you promise that amid the uncertainties of this world our hearts may be fixed on that place where true gladness is found That's the prayer being prayed all over the universal church right now for you. That amid the uncertainties of this world, our hearts might be fixed on the place where true gladness is found amid the uncertainties of this world. Our hearts may be fixed on heaven, not fixed on the uncertainties. Not fixed on the wind that blows. Not fixed on the latest article in the National Catholic Register. Not fixed on the latest blog post that some angry person is putting out. Not fixed on like the latest you know, fake news or real news or any kind of news. But fixed on that place where true gladness is found. We have to stay rooted in the person of Jesus and what he's doing in our lives. What he's doing in the church. What he's doing in the world. Because that's the only place that we find safety, security, and love. And like St. Peter, we have to trust that he knows better than we know. That he plans on redeeming everything. That he desires to save us. And that he's working that out for us. And that's a principle that applies in our individual conversion, that applies in our marriages, in our families, that applies in our parishes, our diocese, the universal church. That's what our Lord is speaking to us in our own time. And in the wisdom of the church's liturgical tradition, it's what we're all praying for today what we're all praying for today and so this morning as I mentioned in my talk the last conference during the creed and place of the creed I'm just going to recall that moment in which our Lord entered into our life for the first time in order to make sense out of things that moment in which the Holy Spirit entered into the life of a sinner and we became children of God. And as we renew our commitment to him, our openness to him, we want to very intentionally reject Satan, the sin in our life, very intentionally reject his works, those sins committed against us and the suffering we carry because of that. To very intentionally reject all his empty show, all his empty promises, all of his lies that we carry about ourselves that become obstacles to his grace. And then to very sincerely and intentionally entrust ourselves to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Entrusting our whole lives, our whole hearts And trusting our families to him, and let the prayer of our hearts be that our Lord transforms us into a new creation, that we become a new creation in Him, which is what happened objectively when we were baptized. And we strive every day to subjectively appropriate, subjectively experience, subjectively grow into that identity. So that as we go forth from this retreat, we may radiate that love of Christ and that confidence in him, even in the midst of the confusion or the troubles of our world. We're called to be a light that shines in the darkness. Let us pray that we're disposed to allow the light of Christ to shine in our lives as we encounter our families, our friends, our parishes, and the world in which we live.